Hello, everyone, and welcome to Thrifters Villa, a podcast for resellers and entrepreneurs. I'm Daniela, and today I have a very special guest with me. Her name is Whitney. Hello, Whitney. Hey, hey, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> we're excited <laughs> to have you because today we're going to be chatting all things home decor, business, vintage quilts, which is fascinating because we've never had anyone on the podcast to talk about that. So welcome to Thrifters Villa, Whitney. So happy to have you here. I can't wait to dive in because I have questions and I just want to learn more about you and your business and like how you got into what you got into. So why don't you take the floor and share with everyone who you are, how you got started and why reselling? Okay. Well, my story will be a little bit convoluted and drawn out. That's fine. We like convoluted. So you got to just stick with me. It'll make sense in the end. No. So yeah, my name's Whitney. I live in the Kansas city area and I'm married and I have three kids that are eight and under. So busy with family life. And I actually trained as a registered nurse, went to school. Um, I grew up in rural Kansas in a town of about 9,000 and very much the Midwest farm life. I lived in town, air quotes in town, but definitely grew up in that rural culture Mm -hmm. with uh, grandparents whose house was filled with antiques with parents and grandparents who owned small businesses, all the nine yards. So uh, I did work as a registered nurse for, oh my goodness, 13, 10, 10 years and at least 10 years at the local pediatric hospital here. And then of course, in 2020, when, you know, the whole world blew up, I had been working in adolescent medicine in one of the outpatient clinics for about five years, part-time. And I had, you know, two small kids at the time. And it was, it's, it's a lot working part-time or full-time having a family, all of that. And they actually put me on furlough when they shut down the clinics. And that gave me the freedom of knowing, okay, for a few months, I have some online business ideas that I was pursuing at the time in a completely different realm. Mm -hmm. I actually had a book Instagram account, a book website. I developed a couple of online courses and free and paid and a paid membership site um, that I was working on because I've always been a huge book nerd, another side of me and really pursued that. Um, And then when my manager called me back two months into furlough and it's like, we want you to come back and work said, actually, I quit. I'm not coming back. (laughs) Actually. I don't ever want to come back. Thank you. I was trying to get that unemployment benefit money as long as I can. I've been paying into that for a long time and I just want to get it all. Okay. Let's be honest here. Um, and then, you know, we decided to homeschool our kid and just life, you know, had another baby. So life definitely took a different turn. And I, a lot with the book side of things, that small book side hustle, I got really burnt out because developing only digital products for me is very, it's very mentally exhausting. And it's just a constant, you're always on your screen. You're always having to make the next big thing, staying on top of trends, all of that. And I'm always on my computer and it was just not a good fit for how I'm built. I still have like a membership site this morning. I even had a book club meeting on zoom with them, but I just realized like I, this may, I may love books and reading, but that I don't have to make a business out of that. Like I can, that can just be a hobby. So in then last year, I'm trying in 2021. So a little over a year ago in the spring, I have one friend who's been selling vintage on Instagram, mostly locally for quite a while, had a couple other friends who were starting up an Instagram account and to sell vintage home goods. I said, I didn't even know this was a thing. 
And so I was down in my hometown and it's like, Hey, I'll just like source for you guys and buy some stuff because stuff in the rural areas is incredibly cheap, like mm-hmm. super, super, super cheap. And I found some great things, bought it for them. Um, I hadn't been to estate sales obviously for a while because everything had been shut down during um, 2020 and all that. And so started kind of going on the estate sale.net app and going to some estate sales, finding things for myself. Um, and then started finding some quilts as well as other just vintage antique stuff that I enjoyed and just kind of thought, you know what, let's just like other people are doing it. I have some nature play therapy stuff. I want my kids to do this summer. It's expensive. It would be awesome if I could just make enough to pay for that, you know, like really small goal, because then I would just feel the freedom that I could kind of do for my kids, what, what I really wanted them to have. Um, and so I launched my account and then people bought from me. I was like, wow, people are, I don't, I guess I just thought it would like take a lot more work (laughs) a little than I know (laughs) it does take a ton of work. It's not that easy. This first, I always feel like, and I tell people this, when you start your account, there's always like that close group of friends and family who are really excited and want to support you, but you're going to saturate that market pretty quickly. Um, so I, Luckily, like I mentioned, my parents have always had small business and my mom sells on eBay. And so she kind of was like, you need to do X, Y, Z, like start your spreadsheet, track your inventory, your expenses, just start it from the very beginning. And I really think that that was key for when things started growing, um, really steadily. I already had that really strong business foundation where I wasn't scrambling to realize, oh, oh my goodness. Like I have to report stuff to the IRS and I have Mm -hmm. no receipts, no records. Um, anyway, so just focused on Instagram, selling on Instagram to start with. And I'm really fortunate because I had grown my book Instagram to like a pretty robust size. And I had done an Instagram course actually with this really amazing, she's a British influencer and she has an Instagram course and did that. And it was like a six week thing. And I was able to transfer a lot of that knowledge to my Instagram shop so that, because again, the hard part is when you're starting a shop, if you're new to vintage and new to Instagram, the learning curve is just so big because you have to learn all of the things. And so Instagram, thankfully was something like, I kind of know how to do that. So let me just focus on the business side. And then anytime you're in Kansas, if you go to an estate sale, not thrift store, they, I've only found quilts at a few thrift stores, but estate sales, antique stores, whatever quilts are everywhere. They don't even have to be advertised. They're just so rich in quilts here. Kansas has a really, really extremely rich history with quilt making on a national level. I mean, I can nerd out about that later, but I kept finding these quilts and there were a few people locally who kind of were very helpful in giving me tips about what to look for, how to price things, how to wash them and how to date them. I was able to connect on Instagram with a couple of really, really knowledgeable women who were just so generous with that. And I just got hooked because quilts, um, they're part of my own family history. Cause my, both of my grandmothers quilted, I have a ton of quilts from them, but also how it reflects the history of the U S the Midwest women's history as well. All of these different social movements, even going into how fabrics are printed and how different things affected that is just, I've always been a history nerd. And so that just really gripped me. Um, but I also am not, there's a lot of people who only sell quilts and I think I'm a little bit too, I need more than that. So 
it's a, yeah, it's a pretty big part of my business, but it's not all of it. Cause there's a lot of things that I love. So, so yeah, that's kind of how I got into my Instagram shop and, and started selling on Instagram and getting into quilts. And then how did that evolve to now you have an Etsy store? Mm-hmm. So at what point were you like, okay, inst- do you still, still sell on in- Instagram? Number one. Yeah, I do. It's mostly okay. like, if people are following me, then I will post things in my stories for early claims and just not all the time. Cause sometimes it, I'll, I mean, I'll explain why I switched to Etsy, but a lot of times I'll post up and say, Hey, if anyone wants this before I post to my Etsy shop, message me and I'll invoice you on Venmo, PayPal, et cetera. And yeah. I do, I have a lot of sales that way too, which is great. Cause it's a little bit great. easier. Yeah. Because I feel like you did it a different way than most people that I know mm-hmm. where they start on Etsy first and then transition into the Instagram shop. You did the opposite. You did Instagram shopping first and then you've mm-hmm. transitioned yourself into, you're just on Etsy, right? That's the only site that you're on. Yes. That's the only platform I'm using right now. I, I dabbled some in Facebook marketplace before I moved to Etsy. Um, so Okay. So I was on Instagram and then I was having inventory that just wasn't selling. And it's very, very difficult on Instagram to manage your inventory. If you have more than like 20 items. And I do feel if things typically don't sell on, cause I was doing the typical launch of Monday at 7 PM, I'm going to drop all these items and you have to claim right away. And you have to send me the money in 30 minutes. And I'm also going to give you a shipping quote and some accounts do it. Like I'm going to ship it to you. And then tell you how much the shipping was and you have to send me the money afterwards. It was, I mean, it's like, I, I, anyway. I don't even know where to begin with Instagram. I've never tried. And honestly, I don't want to take that on. That, and that's a hundred percent fine. It's not for everyone. Um, so it was just, and a lot of times if things don't sell, it's just like dead. Like if it doesn't yeah. sell within a week because of the way social media moves and how difficult it is for people to view your inventory, it's just, you just can't do it. So I was posting some things on Facebook marketplace, um, especially quilts and shipping. So not just local, but like using them to ship. And that was, I mean, I made a lot of sales that way and a lot of connections. And I kept redirecting people to my Instagram, like go to my Instagram. If you like quilts, go there. And I had a lot of connections through there, which was great, but Facebook marketplace is just a mess. I mean, I I can't stand it. I tried. I can't do it. (laughs) It's like... I mean, it's so bad last year. I don't think it was quite as bad this year. Anytime I've tried to post any, even locally, just some ho- my own personal stuff I want to get rid of, like yeah, yeah. send me your phone number. And I'm like, no, I, no, anyway, not happening. Yeah. So I think I got to a point where that the evening drop thing, like that just doesn't work for my family. Like I had a new baby coming. My kids are night owls. My, it just doesn't work. And my, I was trying to grow. And as you're scaling up, like, I think there's a cap on, on Instagram, as far as either you have to push out your shipping times. Like I see some people who are doing Instagram drops and they're, or they're doing live sales and they're like, yeah, I'll ship this out within the next three weeks. I'm like, to me, that doesn't make sense. Three. Yeah. Three weeks. They're like, that's just my life because I have so many claims and I'm manually processing Cause the other big part of it is collecting shipping and payment information, like constantly mm-hmm. chasing every single transaction. Yeah. Um, there's some great apps out there that I think that people are developing to do that on, on Instagram. Um, there's one called high beam that a friend of mine has been using for quilt auctions and some automated text reminders and whatnot, but every single person I'm having to send them information. Oh, there's this question. Okay. Can I have more photos? Okay. I want it. Okay, great. Well, send me your Venmo. Oh, and I need your shipping. It's just in times 
Yeah. There's only so much time I have to do that. And so I realized if I really wanted to scale up, um, and not have to, and, and not have to do these weekly drops, then I needed a different platform. And I had always said, no, I'm not going to do Etsy. They charge, they charge fees or, or it just seemed overwhelming, but I started, especially leading up to giving birth to my, um, third kiddo in September, I just last year started doing a lot of research and realizing, um, if I, if I wanted to scale up and have it fit into my life, that Etsy was going to be a better fit for me. And I just can't command the audience. Like with social media, you're only going to grow so fast. Um, I mean, I think reels are fine. They're great, but I don't, I don't have time to do that. And I also say this a lot, the things that Instagram wants you to do to make you successful on Instagram are not necessarily what makes you successful as a business owner. So you're pouring all this time and energy into creating content for followers that they may like find you entertaining and funny. And they may get a lot from your thrifting tips, but they may not ever buy from you. Whereas if I have someone who was looking for an antique flow blue pattern in the WH Grinley Marguerite style, like 12 inch, like they're going to find me on Etsy. Like, like I just cannot command that kind of direct traffic like Etsy can. So yeah. So I had the baby in September and then, you know, kind of scaled back on, on Instagram things. And that allowed me to focus on listing things in Etsy. And I started off with like 30 listings in Etsy. And I had some, again, some people that I've connected with on Instagram. Again, the community is so generous and helpful. Um, Amy from Meadow road vintage and Kristen from 40 cottage street. I'm just shouting them out. We're two women who answered a ton of questions and have become wonderful friends and just shared their years of experience on Etsy, like SEO and keyword and photographs and everything like that. And so, um, basically opened Etsy and it has been very steady and very strong for me ever since. And it has helped me just reclaim my time in a way where I I can do it on my time and not when the Instagram I can list things on my time and sell things on my time. And not when the Instagram algorithm says it's the best time for me to be on my computer. (laughs) Right. And I feel like to go off of that right now, we're seeing in the reselling community auction type websites be big, right? Like whatnot. Okay. We're going to throw it out there. I have a hard time with it, not because it's an auction style or anything like that, because you can find items at a certain price point and then start it at a certain price point to make it work for you. That's not it. It's the time that it takes to not only be present and on for that time that you're live, the prep that goes into it, the prep that goes after it, all of that. I work full-time outside the home. Mm -hmm. I like to do these little things. I like to sell. I like to throw for myself. I like to do the podcast. I have a YouTube channel that I touch occasionally, but it's like, those things are fun to me. I never want this to not be fun. The business side of it has to have structure. And it has to work with my schedule and my time. And that type of platform does not work for me. Mm. It doesn't. A hundred percent. And and the I, stress. Yes. Ugh. And I think it's a difference. The people that I see on whatnot, the reason that they are succeeding um, is because it's volume. So I think a lot of sellers have to decide, and, and this isn't like, it's not an either or dichotomy, but you, at some point you do have to decide do I want to focus on volume and selling a ton of inexpensive things? Or would I rather make one sale a week? Right. Or if I sell like three quilts and that honestly, 
I mean, quilts, I love emotionally. And then as a business decision, and also because I'm very much a risk taker, there's a lot of people that are like, I would never, I would never buy a quilt because it's a lot of time and money investment, but the return is greater. And it's like, my profit margin is just going to be way worth more worth my time. And I have, I'm, I'm at home with my kids. We were homeschooling last year. Like I don't have time to make $5 on an item. Like I just don't. And I think it also helps being a nurse. Like I worked for, for so many years. And so I had an hourly wage and, and I, I have been very, very fortunate that my, you know, I worked very, very part-time as a nurse, but my income that I have been able to make pulling from Etsy has covered my, what I was making as a nurse. That's fantastic. Part-time. And so, and that was like kind of my goal is if I can do this and it helps my family thrive emotionally and relationally and helps us financially too. Like that's a huge win for us. So absolutely, yeah. So that's the thing with whatnot or even eBay auctions is. Have you I, seen an eBay auction? I have yet to see one. Yeah. I mean, it's so I mean, I mean, like seen, the live, they have like a live, oh, one they're doing no, this. they have yes. live eBay's. No, so they're, I, they're piloting a live one. And that intrigues me because the market is so vast with eBay. Like I dab Mm -hmm. a little bit in that here and there, depending on how it is, but they're piloting a live auction. And if eBay can make it and make it work and the fees Mm -hmm. make sense and the shipping Mm -hmm. makes makes sense, that is going to be extremely successful and beneficial to some sellers, especially ones that run auctions manual uh, automatically, like most sellers have always done on eBay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that would be, that's really interesting. Yes. Yeah. I, I bid in auctions. I have not been to a live in-person auction. My mom goes for me in Southeast Kansas in rural Kansas. She'll go and buy the most ridiculous things for nothing. Like (laughs) they're always like, why do you want that big brass swan? I'm like, because I want it. Because I want it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, wouldn't I, (laughs) I know because someone wants it. (laughs) Someone Someone out there wants this. Someone wants this. Yeah. And I bid on a lot of auction house websites. Okay. Let's talk about this because Julia talks about this as well. Who was on the podcast Mm -hmm. and a lot of her, she goes to, you know, the small thrift stores and stuff too, but she goes to these auction websites. She goes to these auction houses, views the items and bids on them online. Mm -hmm. Talk me through your process on it, how you kind of got introduced to it because that's a whole new world to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think I started finding them through the estate sales.net app because they will list auctions and there are live auctions here in town. Again, it just doesn't work for my schedule. Like I can't go and spend four hours at a, at a live auction, but a lot of the online auctions, especially, um, I'm giving away all my secrets, but it's not really a secret. I mean, anyone can Google, right? (laughs) I mean, anyone can Google like quilts (laughs) and typically for, um, I have been in a lot of national auction Mm -hmm. houses, um, for quilts. I backed off on that though, because there's so much competition and I'm very fortunate because I can go anywhere and find a quilt like here locally or in Kansas. And so that's just a better use of my time and money. But anyway, so yeah, I started looking at these auctions and realizing like, this is, especially when I had the little baby, it's like, this is so much easier because I can bid on things. If the photos and descriptions are good enough, um, then I just have to go and pick it up. I can set my price. If it goes over fine. But if I win it, then I just can go pick it up, leave. And I'm not battling the estate sales. And so if it is 
a more high dollar item, I really do try to go um, and look at the items ahead of time, especially if the pictures are not great. Yeah. Or like one, <laughs> I would think I was still in the hospital after giving birth, <laughs> and my mom had come up to visit me, and we were on our phone looking at the app, and I'm like, "Mom, will you go to this auction preview for me? Because <laughs> these quotes are amazing." She's like, "Of course I will." <laughs> Isn't so, it funny how our brain is always. It's oh just, that part of it's always on like, but I there's know. this going on. So can oh. you, do it, for me? <laughs> it was ridiculous. Yes. You went to the preview. And then a few weeks later, she went, I won some and she oh, went nice. picked them up for me. And I was, when she came back to see anyway. And so there is, if you don't go and view, there is a lot more risk and you always have to calculate in the bidders, the um, bidders fee that were okay. premium. Cause it can be 15 to 18% depending. Oh, wow. Um, but like, that's mostly in urban areas more and more. I am shifting to even doing online auctions that are like way far out from me back near my hometown or, or in other really rural areas. Um, a lot of times they only take cash or check and mm-hmm. that way you avoid the 3%, um, credit card fee. Like yeah. every single business you go into there, they, everyone gets charged. It, it, this it makes yeah. me laugh. Now it's again, being a business owner, you know, like every, every business pays the 3% plus, you know what? 25 cents yeah. credit card fee. And a lot of places in the rural areas will just charge you an extra 3% if you run your card with them. And so when I go down, I'll take, I take cash for all that. So I also bid in auctions. Like I bid in one that was an hour from my hometown, just out in the middle of nowhere and just bought a whole lot of stuff so that when I come back to Kansas city, like you, you saw my, my office, it's a hot mess. My garage is full of stuff, but then I have inventory. And then I'm just like going to work through it because here in Kansas, we have that you can go to like five estate sales every day here. There's estate sales. I mean, it is crazy. If you look at our app, there are the, on any given day, probably a dozen in the metro area. There's a ton of estate sales all the time here. I, but again, my three kids are with me. I don't yeah. have time. And so, and, and the prices have continued to obviously increase a lot. And I think in the rural areas, they're just increasing at a slower rate. And so it's just a better use of my time to, again, just do it. And then, like I mentioned, my mom will go to live auctions for me and get stuff. Um, I'm hoping to get to one with her someday <laughs> just for the fun of it. Yeah. So when the babies get a little older, <laughs> yes, finally. I mean, I mean, yes, sorry. I didn't mean to have that. Like oh, finally. <laughs> every mom felt that don't you worry. <laughs> I know just a little more flexibility with, you know, yeah. nursing and sleep time schedules. So, yeah. So yeah. Um, it's funny when I talk to people in different areas, you know, whether they're in Southern States or in the Midwest or it's such a different world when it comes to secondhand than what I'm used to here in New England. It's so different. It's not saying that we don't have the same things. It's just not as frequent or not as easy or accessible. Like here, it's just easier to go to your main thrift stores like a Savers or a Salvation Army, like the mom and pop ones are usually only open a few hours during the week. So if you work, you're not getting mm-hmm. there and they might be open a, like on a Saturday for half a day, but you'd have to go there right away and, or they, they're closed because it's a long weekend and it's a holiday. So it's just, it's so different. If I were to travel into like Western Massachusetts, I think I'd have better luck, but now you're now with the gas prices and everything, mm-hmm. and I know they're coming down, but I've got to drive 55 miles 
or more to even get to my first stop. And then I got to spend all day there. I only have the weekend free. So like Mm -hmm. there's this constant battle that I have as someone who works full-time outside the home where it's like, I want to be able to experience all these different things. And, um, you know, I have friends in the community that like, just do the online auction type things. I'm like, yeah, but I'm also someone that's very tactile and I need to like, see, feel Mm -hmm. like that's very important to me when, when I'm looking for inventory. And I also feel like I, I just, I sell, I sell clothing that's clothing and shoes and handbags. And I'm very like modern when it comes to that. So my spots are always the savers, goodwill type thing. Mm-hmm. I, so, but a part of me feels like it's missing out on this whole other side that I'm starting to really get into. I'm really starting to enjoy home goods. I'm really starting to enjoy um, just that vintage aspect of things that used to exist back in the day that were made by hand that now are very collectible or people want them or I want them for my own home. You know, I'm not saying trinkets and stuff, but just like, like I was saying to you before we started recording, like I found this wooden barrel shaped container that I don't know what I'm going to use it for, but it's going to be used for something. And it, and like, it excites me. I'm in this like stage of my life at 35 where like things like that are really exciting. And, um, and I don't know, I just, do I want to start selling those things? Maybe like, I feel myself gravitating more and more in that direction. And like the clothing is fun and I, and I love fashion. So I'll always love that aspect of reselling, but I feel like there, I hate when people say this, but it's so true. There are so many more people in the clothing realm and it's just getting harder and harder to find the inventory that you need at the price point that you need. And at the time that you're able to source, like it's becoming much more difficult for me, not saying that it'd be easier with home goods, but I feel like there's more opportunities when you're in that home goods Mm -hmm. realm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think that Amy um, from Meadow Road Vintage, she told me such a good piece of advice. She's like, you, you really need to like what you sell, but also it needs to be something that you can source consistently at a low price. So for example, here, I mean, in Kansas city, yes, I can find mid-century boho type, um, 1960s, 70s home decor, but honestly it's expensive because people it's in demand and there's not a ton of it. There's not estate sales all the time selling that kind of stuff. I can go on the flip side. I can go to a lot of estate sales or I go to barn sales, um, like kind of just outside of Kansas city, or again, down in the rural areas. And I can find the primitive farmhouse antiques and not like fake teaks. Like I call it like the fake Hobby Lobby antiques, but like authentic type of items that people, especially in places like California, people on the West coast, they, they, they never have quilts. They never can find Ironstone or flow blue or all these different type of transfer wear. That's really, really popular right now. Old wooden primitive items. I, lo- I love wooden primitive items, like really rusty, chunky and um, mm-hmm. like ice cream buckets or what? I mean, I have, I have just so, so much stuff, <laughs> restaurant wear, diner mugs, that kind of thing. Yep. And so that really helped me focus on um, that. Sorry. That really helped me focus on what can I source consistently at a, at a margin where it allows me to like have a profitable business. And so that's kind of how I tuned into kind of the niche that I have. I've definitely moved more into antiques, 
I, I prefer things that are pre 1960 and that, I mean, that really goes for quilts and all the other things that I'm able to do. So, and that also gives you just like that, having that niche and that focused, um, style is I think really, really important in a home goods store. I mean, just looking at your Etsy store. So Whitney's, um, Instagram and Etsy store will be linked in the show notes, but your aesthetic is clear, like the photos, everything. And it's just, you can, you can tell what you're going for. I want to talk about pricing because this always fascinates me when I go into any Etsy store and I sit there and I'm like, but how did you arrive to this price point for this specific item? Like I'm a lost soul when it comes to that. Like I can find really cool things. There's a couple of thrift stores that I go to there. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Like in the woods. So there's a lot of like that barn type stuff, right? Kind of like what oh. you were saying. You would love it. You oh. would absolutely love it. But like, I don't know the value of, and I don't even know where to start when it comes to finding value of some of this stuff. I just think it's cool. Like mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's kind of my thing. Like uh, for example, you have this antique splint wood basket that is $95. How the hell did you know that's worth 95? Okay. Well, my dad always said, it's only worth it if someone's willing to pay it. Very true. Pay that. <laughs> so that's what I would like to get for that item. Um, but I, it's, it, there's, oh boy, there's a lot of layers to this. There so, is. <laughs> um, how and I, this use... is where I get, this is where I struggle. And I'm mm-hmm. sure this is where a lot of people mm-hmm. struggle when it comes to like going down that vintage home goods realm. Yes. Okay. So the basket is a great, like kind of case study. So, um, baskets, there's a wide range of baskets, right. As far as like cheap ones that are not so old up to really, really old I love the buttocks basket. My husband was so scandalized. He was like, what did you call that? I'm like, held it up. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I don't want to tell people to Google buttock basket. Cause I don't, I want to make sure the right thing, but <laughs> we'll come up. I am not responsible for anything. And not some adult image of some sort. Just saying. <laughs> anyway, go to my, go to my Etsy shop and then search buttocks basket. Anyway. But this specific basket um, was very a very large size. The wood mm. was in great shape. I could tell from the patina on it that it was really old. And it has this really unusual metal frame to it. A lot of baskets you see, I, I've actually never found another one that actually has the riveted metal frame um, supporting that. And, and I did some quick price comps. I generally have, I mean, and this is something from selling home goods. Like I have become really good at estimating like size and length. Cause yeah. I'm constantly looking like how, how much would that be to ship? Yeah. Um, and I feel and like with, it becomes second nature when you do it over oh, and over again. You have you to, know. and, and I have a tape measure. Like now I just have a tape measure in my purse all the time because I need to, I need to know, need to know. If, because if for example, a painting is more than 27 inches long, I have to know I'm going to be able to make really like, I need to be able to sell that for a lot because shipping yeah. is going to be a lot. Shipping so, oh, and I, speaking of art, okay. I have another case study for you. That will be really, really helpful. <laughs> I really um, love the the basket, by the way, I'm looking at the video. It is, it it is so, so pretty. cute. 
It's really nice. I need to pull it out and use it for decor. Um, yes. So I use um, a combination of looking at sold comps on eBay, looking at Etsy listings and looking at WorthPoint. So WorthPoint is expensive, but I have found it, especially because a lot of the things I'm selling are more of the collectible antiques that that has been very, very helpful to, for me to pull data on, mm. um, to figure out how much things are worth, especially in the next set of items I'm going to talk about. So, um, so looking at all of that, I thought, okay, I think I can sell the basket for this much. Then after I've decided how much do I think I can sell it for? Then I look at my profit margins. So everyone, I think you have to figure out what your formula is, your own personal formula for what is this worth my time? How much time is this going to take me to clean it, to stage it, to store it, to ship it? Um, and some, one friend had told me, she's like, I really need to make five times my money gross, like gross money because after Etsy fees and taxes and everything else, um, cause I do run my business. Um, how do I say this in a non-judgy way? I do run my business above board where I have a retail sales tax license and I'm reporting all my income to the IRS and all my Venmo and PayPal and everything. It's all business accounts. Yep. So I just don't even mess with like, like this is a business. It's not a hobby. Um, and that's actually really helped me be a lot more objective about things. So, so once I figure out like how much I'm going to make, then I can decide whether or not that's worth my time. Now for quilts, that formula is completely different because I can spend a couple days, like washing them, soaking them, removing stains. My mom has helped me do some repairs on some quilts. Photographing them is a lot more time intensive, taking the notes, looking over the entire surface of the quilt and everything. Um, like it's just a lot more time intensive and it's more, I'm not going to generally make five times. Like it, it would be insane to buy. Uh, it's very unusual to be able to make five times of the gross. Like if I'm buying a quilt for a hundred dollars to make $500 or to be able to list it at $500 is that just doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Um, and so the formula for that's a little bit different, but doing all of that has helped me learn how to say no. I'm still sometimes very emotional when it comes to sourcing things, um, and buying things, but it's, it's really, that's really helped me a lot. And with pricing, um, I'm looking at eBay sold comps and I'm looking at worth point, but I'm not selling on eBay. So generally the people that Can I are, ask you why I'm not selling on eBay because I feel like the market is so big on eBay and I don't like the interface. It's <laughs> not the prettiest. That's it's it's sure. not the prettiest. Um, and I really like the idea of having a more boutique shop mm. feel. And that's what that. I've been able to curate, 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 <laughs> curate on Etsy is having the pretty photography. I love photography. That's one reason I love Instagram as a platform is just being able to style things. Um, I mean, I think eBay is great. My mom sells on eBay. It's great for her. She also sells anything she can make money on basically, <laughs> basically, you know, She's everything I, seller, everything seller. And she loves it. And it's great. And I source for her just as much as she sources for me. We're always great. buying for each other. So, yeah. so eBay, I even tried cross posting on eBay, but I, I realized it's like, man, I think for me personally, my energies would be better spent building my Etsy shop and driving, 
you know, listing and using SEO and keywords and stuff so that Etsy is driving Mm. people to my, to my shop. I mean, you have very great reviews. You have five stars. You have 199 sales. I'm looking at things that I want to buy from your store. So making myself a little list. (laughs) This vintage wooden crate, like it, kind of want it, not going to lie. It's an always add it to your cart. I can, I can, (laughs) I can always add it to my cart. Um, I want to talk about the quilts in particular, because I think it's really fascinating how you have just dived deep into quilts understand the history of quilt, the stitching of quilt. Like what even, how did you even know where to start with that? I guess is my first thing. Like, was it something that you just kind of known as growing in a rural area? Like that's just a part of history that you just know in the area that you're in. Like what made you kind of get to that point? And then I have a controversial question to ask you about. Mm, Oh, I love, I love controversial questions. (laughs) Yeah. I, so I think I just started buying them. I started buying yeah. them. I would find them cheap. I would get them. I would look at them and f- try to figure out how old is this? How did they put this together? Mm. And then again, cause I'm a book nerd. Um, I have a whole shelf full of books on quilts oh. and quilt patterns. I started reading about them. I got a book that tells you how to date the fabrics, which is one of my favorite oh, books wow. of all time. Yeah. So I have books where I can look and say, Oh, this fabric was first started being started being produced in 1890. Like if you find a quilt that has this fabric in it, it is no older than 1890. And then even the stitching, like there's even ways where you can look at the, is the thread two ply or three ply and that will help you date the quilt. I mean, and just the more I read about the history again, because Kansas being a like pioneer state and people yeah. moving out here and the importance of quilting bees and people getting together, especially women coming together to quilt yeah. is just so, so interesting to me. And, and it's like the more I read and then the more quilts I would buy, and really it's a matter of volume. I mean, just like, just like anything. I have one friend who is super into jadeite. I have another friend who loves brass, you know, and all of these different things that you can really get into after handling, I really should count up how many quilts that I bought. I'm sure it's in the hundreds now you, and again, having people who are willing to answer questions and share their knowledge. Um, I was just learned so much from them. So I, I, it's like anything, like, how can I explain why I'm hooked? Yeah, you can't. It's more like, the history and like how you get into it. And do you restore any of them besides the washing and like stain treating, or do you even leave some the way they are because they're Mm -hmm. so historic? Yeah, generally. And I don't even wash all my quilts. There are some quilts like do not put that in water. I have one that I just shipped off today that has some really, really unusual fabrics that I think is circa 1880. And I just let it air out one or two days on the grass, like on the line, just to kind of, you know, get the storage odors out, but there's some that you don't wash. My mom is more of a sewist than I am. I learned how to use a sewing machine. I actually have my grand, no, hold on. My great, great, grand, great, great grandmother's sewing machine downstairs. And it still works. It's from the 1950s, all metal parts. I mean, I took it to have it serviced at a quilting shop and they said, this will like never die. There's no plastic from China in it. You keep it serviced. My son is learning to use it. Um, Oh, sorry. It's okay. No worries. Um, So my son is learning to use it. And so that's been really fun, but 
do you ever just leave it as like, like if as it's a tattered, sentence, like if it's, a, it's okay. If it's just tattered, but it's historical in nature, like, do mm-hmm. you just leave it? Like what, or do you not yeah. pick it up at all? Like what's your process? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Generally I will sell them as is my mother has helped me to do some repair work for one time. I got this quilt that was a really cool red, white, and blue quilt. And the woman who sold it to me actually had some, I'm not sure if they were reproduction or actual antique fabrics, but she sent some squares along with it. Like, Hey, I was going to repair, um, these squares, you get some fabric loss because the dyes that were used in the late 1800s, early 1900s were actually, um, like toxic dyes. They eat away at the fabric. And so there was fabric loss. And so my mom was able to repair that quilt. And, and so then I was able to sell it. And again, a lot of people will take them as is, but if you can do small men's mending on it, then, it doesn't necessarily increase the value, but it just makes it more durable. Yeah. If repairs are done badly, then you can definitely decrease the value in a quilt, which is why a lot of times I leave it as is. And I sell a lot of cutter quilts to people, um, to a lot of makers. That was actually a big part of my business last year. Not so much this year um, for a variety of reasons, but I do still continue to sell because I get a lot of quilts that are just, I mean, I have one right now behind me that the, the edge is just shredded. You can tell someone has pulled that up over their face or over their chin 500 times a year. Yeah. And you could totally repair that, or it could be made into something a lot more beautiful and useful. Okay. So I want to talk about that. Remember how this was a big topic last year in the quilting community. Oh my word. What are your thoughts on it? So People much drama. Upside- so much drama. It was insane that I even started following it. And I know nothing about quilts. And I was like, but I don't understand what the big deal is because someone is taking this beautiful piece and upcycling it into something else that someone can continue to wear and use. We're so, yeah. it. <laughs> so I am more probably a moderate when it comes, like I'm in the middle of the spectrum. So first off it's a quilt. Okay. It is, um, it's an object. It's an inanimate object. And especially with so many quilts that I get, I have no provenance on it. I don't know who made it. I can only guess when it was made. I don't know about the fabrics, all of these things. And I always think we should value actual live human beings more than an inanimate object. And so if you own the quilt, I think you have the right to do whatever you want with that quilt. Like Mm -hmm. that's your quilt. You own it. Um, on, on one side, I have worked with so many makers who have taken quilts that are on it. They're just too fragile to be used as mm-hmm. bed coverings. Um, it's amazing. I put some old quilts, even just on my couch as like a throw blanket yep. and they start to show wear so quickly just from my kids messing with it or us mm-hmm. sitting on it because those fabrics are fragile. And there are people who are taking these quilts and again, turning them into, like coats, pillow covers. Um, my grandma, I actually, it was so cool. I have a maker that I've sold a lot of quilts to and grandma moved into the nursing home, needed a bag for her walker. So I bought a bag that she ties onto her walker from this maker and and grandma loved it. Absolutely loved it. And especially if there are some homes, like I have closets full of quilts that are just sitting there and they're not doing anything. Um, but on the flip side of that, I have seen some people, um, I'm not going to name names. There are there. I'm thinking of one specifically who prides themselves on using museum quality quilts to turn into coats. And that 
makes me really cringy (laughs) because on the flip side, yes, it's an inanimate object, but this is also significant in our history as women Mm -hmm. and as a country or as a state, whatever, for various real reasons. And there are quilts that are very, very important because of how they're constructed, or maybe they were made by a special person or used. And there's just so many ways, like, and I think that, um, preserving that history that's why we, that's why we're doing antiques and vintage. I want to preserve history because even though it is only an inanimate object, it's never just about the object. It's about the person who made it, the person who used it, the person who is using it now, like it's all about story. And I do think that we can lose a lot of our story if we're just indiscriminately cutting up a quilt without considering, is this significant in our history? Does this item tell a piece of our story that if we lose it in its intact state, are we losing part of our history and story? And so in the end, you know, I'm, I'm never going to judge anyone for doing what they want with quilts, but I just, I do think it's important for, and I work with makers who I've been very, very fortunate to connect with makers who are very thoughtful and considerate about how they are using, like they message me and say, honestly, Whitney, do you think this quilt should be cut up? Like they ask me, you see it, you have it. What do you think? And we're just able to dialogue about that and in ways that are like respectful of that. So yeah, Yeah, I'm in agreement with you when it comes to that. I think if it's has some sort of history, something to it where you don't want to cut that up. Like, I mean, it kind of, this is an awful example of it, but like we'll talk about current trend, like current events when Kim Kardashian puts on Marilyn Monroe's dress, like it, it's kind of the same yeah. thing. Like you wouldn't do that. You, you just, you just don't make a reproduction of it. There's no reason Which they like, did. So why didn't you just wear the reproduction you just wear that? instead of destroying a beautiful gown that is now on a mannequin and it's just destroyed. It's <sighs> torn and rhinestones are missing and it's ripped. Oh, and it's that's... like, you know, so I 100% agree with you on that. Like that is just, there are certain things we don't touch and you leave it where it needs to be preserved. That is why designers try to, in the, in the clothing world, if they go, they hunt, they have people that hunt online for like vintage pieces that were during a certain era because maybe they're trying to get inspiration from it or whatever it is. They want to add it back into their collection. This is all they do all day is they hunt for all these vintage things. They buy it all out and they preserve it where it needs to be so it can mm-hmm. stay and and generations to come can also admire the the beauty that existed when this brand first started so yeah i definitely agree with you but i think there's so much of everything in today's world whether it's clothing whether it's home goods no matter what it is there's just so much of it that if we can repurpose things that don't mm-hmm. have any historical value of any sort right then why not do it Mm -hmm. We are so wasteful as a country. We are so wasteful. And half the things that I find in the thrift store, like people don't even use it, especially when it comes Mm -hmm. to home goods. Like, what did you do? You probably had it on a shelf for a little bit and then you got rid of it. Like, or I could go to home goods and pay 40 bucks for it. You know, you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, I'm laughing because yeah, I know. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And, and it's just so interesting because too, I'll have quilts that I I'll even pick them up. And half the time I'm like, why did I buy this? Like I should, this isn't the worst horrible condition. Mm-hmm. And then I'll sell it. And I, I try, especially to makers, I try to source quilts 
that are really low price. So I can offer them at a really low price. Cause I know that they're going to sell the final product on. And it's like, I want, I want you to be able to make a good profit on it anyway. And they'll take it and make it into something awesome. Like, wow, you like that had paint splatters all over it. Someone's dog sat in it, a bug crawled up in it and died while I was drying it <laughs> on my backyard. And you just turned it into something amazing. Like there, yep. nothing is so bad that it can't be salvaged in some, in some way, surely. So agreed. I own some quilted things. So there's a uh, reseller in the reselling community called um, her Instagram handles oscillady. Her name is Erin Hall and she has an Etsy business and this is what she does. She gets quilts from all over the place and she makes coats, house coats, dresses, blouses, you name it. She makes it. She just made Mm -hmm. teddy bears not too long ago out of quilts. I love it. And um, I own two of her pieces and I have um, uh, like a quilted jacket type thing for the fall that I have in my, in my cart that I keep staring at. And it's like, I don't mind paying the 150, 250, whatever it is, because I know that someone has poured their heart and soul into not only creating this, but going out and sourcing these, pe- like these specific quilts to make this design and the amount of effort that takes. And then to, I feel like people that have Etsy stores there's just this understanding of the amount of time and energy it takes to have a beautiful Etsy store to create a, a product or to display a product a certain way. And Etsy requires so much from a seller to input, to make it so easy for a buyer to buy something. You need to incorporate all the things that sometimes on Poshmark and eBay, you can get away with, with not hmm. incorporating on there. It's just, it's like you said, very boutique and I'm okay with paying that, especially to a maker. Like I get it. It's hard. Wow. It's and, hard. Yes. And the hours that they put into it. And I think that's Absolutely. too about quilts is I like someone spent hours and hours and hours creating this, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, days or years, like they may have worked on it for years and we really need to respect the, even if you turn it into a coat and I do. And that's the cool thing is a lot of these makers are so respectful of the materials that they work with and um, even how they cut it or mending it a certain way. So they're preserving the beauty and the artistry as much as they can. It's like that we, it's just a really cool thing. And then the work that they put into it, it's like, man, you need to be artists and creators have got to be compensated for their work. And I'm, I'm glad that as a culture, we're recognizing that again. And even if not, everyone can afford to buy handmade items like that, like the respect is still there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh. I want to go back to, um, quilts that you have found, what is the, like, is there one that sticks out in your mind that you found? Is it something, something about it that just always sticks with you? Did you keep it? Did you sell it? What'd you do with it? Is it like one of those pieces where like, you're like, I wish I never sold it. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one. This is, this is a story more about how awesome my friends are. Uh, so I have one really, really good friend here, um, in town, Rochelle from the crow's nesting on Instagram. And she was like my biggest cheerleader from the very beginning of saying like, you can do this. You should sell on Instagram. Like you, this is awesome. Cheering me on, helping me out. And we even now source for each other. I mean, this is another Kansas city has a ton of vintage sellers, whether they sell in antique stores, Instagram, Etsy. I mean, we have so we, if there's they just to come fly out us. to Kansas city, Dude, Kansas Plus you, got, you have good barbecue. So, oh, we have the, I mean, Kansas city is like the hidden secret best city of America that every, people who move here are like, why didn't no one tell me how amazing this place is <laughs> anyway? So, and this is, and this is a story that also like, this has happened to me 
over and over and over again. I, I have another artwork story, a couple of artwork stories that is like this. It is just like complete serendipity. But anyway, so she was driving down Ward Park Way, which is this really busy, nice um, street in Kansas City. And she drove by a garage sale sign. She's like, oh, I'll stop and go to garage sale. Always break for garage sale. So she goes in and she sees this quilt hanging on the fence. And they had a bunch of antiques out and she's like very, very friendly and gregarious and talk to anyone. And she's like, oh, this quilt is so awesome. My friend loves quilts. Do you have more quilts? And they're like, oh, actually we do. We have a whole bunch of quilts. So they go in the house. They were antique dealers who had bought out the estate okay. um, of someone. And so they go in and they bring all these quilts out. She calls me. I'm like 30 minutes away, picking my kids up from play therapy. And she's like, you need to get over here now. Like you need to be here yesterday because she, it's been so funny because she has, she doesn't sell quilts, but she has sourced for me so much that she knows she's like these quilts. I've never seen anything like it. So I like throw my kids in the car. We drive over there and they are, I mean, they are the most exquisite depression era quilts that mm-hmm. I had ever seen. There were quilting techniques like, um, Trapunto white work stuffed white work quilting techniques that I've never seen on a, on a vintage quilt from the 1930s. That's a technique you normally only see in like the 1850s, the stitching on them are perfect. They had been wow. the, the story even behind them is crazy because this lady who lives in Kansas city, her aunts had collected them and kept them in a farmhouse out in rural Kansas mm-hmm. and just bought them at antique stores. She even showed me black and white photos of the quilts on the beds in the farmhouse. They kept a bunkhouse for the, all the grandkids when they came to visit. So the grandkids would not come in the house and mess up their antiques. The kids had to stay in the bunkhouse. <laughs> so this woman inherited all these quilts from her you know, aunties and kept them in a black trash bag in her attic for years and then had hired this estate sale company to come and sell the estate. And they like just vanished on her, like ghosted her and like, sorry, we're too busy. We can't come. She's like, what am I going to do with all this stuff? So then she sees a neighbor walking by and she's like, Dave, I just, I don't know what to do with all this. And Dave's like, don't worry. I'm going to call my friend, Steve, or I can't remember all their names, Steve, you know, Steve coming by. So Steve comes and buys the entire estate the lady had just planned on actually calling a local charity thrift store and having them come and empty out the house for her and sell everything in the thrift store. And the thought of me, again, nothing against thrift stores, but I'm like, they're, these are like amazing, like heirloom quality quilts just happened to, you know, her neighbor just happened to connect her with Steve. My friend happened to drive by and I bought the whole lot and was just made a connection with the, I mean, they're probably retired, maybe, I don't know, fifties, sixties. So a bit older, um, antique dealers in town. And they're like, we know these are worth something, but we just don't have the capacity to like. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. sell it or deal with it. So I, I bought the lot. I mean, it was like the baby was maybe four weeks old. I remember changing the baby's diaper on their patio table in the back. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just wild and stuff like that has happened over and over again, where it's just, 
you just happen upon this find. And again, I think it's the more, you know, if you're looking to be a seller and people ask me this a lot, how in the world do you walk into an antique store or see something and just know, and I, it's mm-hmm. just, you do it over and over and over and over again. You go to the really nice antique stores that you're not going to buy from, but you educate yourself. You go to the end, you go to if the museums have a display of quilts that are coming in town or your local quilt guild is doing a quilt show mm-hmm. and they're displaying some vintage quilts, you go in there and you study them. You ask questions. You don't be afraid to ask all the things like, how did you know this? How did you know it was this old? What do you think about this fabric? I mean, that's true of anything old that you're doing is just um, exposing yourself as much as possible yeah. to all, all the varieties that you can find. <laughs> Yeah. Doing research is so important, whether it doesn't matter what category you're selling in, but like you have to immerse yourself into that, that content Mm -hmm. and it takes time and it takes practice, but eventually you'll get to the point where like, you'll spot something and automatically know, Oh, I think, I think this is what that is. Mm -hmm. And you just get better and better at it. And then you'll find the places that always have those things that you really want. And you'll make those connections. I mean, in the clothing community for me with the modern clothing, I mean, I've, I can basically just look at something on the rack and know that might be whatever brand it is. And if I feel it, I'm like, yep, no, this is definitely that brand. So mm-hmm. you just do it with hard goods and quilts, which mm-hmm. is fascinating to me. Yeah. And artwork has been another area where I think my, my husband's family has several artists and we have handmade art that they have painted. My sister is also an artist. I mean, we just, have a lot. And one time always go in the bathroom in the basement at estate sales. (laughs) I mean, you will find the most amazing stuff in bathrooms and basement stuff that's hidden away. And I went into um, the bathroom and there was a set of three prints hanging on the wall and they were Japanese wood blocks with kanji script. Okay. And I was like, those look expensive and they're really cool. And I look and they're numbered signed prints in pencil. I'm like, Hmm, okay. like anytime anything is numbered or says AP, which means artist proof, like, and it's signed, you need to take a second, look, pull it off the wall. There's information on the back of where it had been professionally framed. Did a really quick look on this author, the artist's name, the prints were $12 each. <laughs> and, um, so the, I was like, I'm just going to buy them. It's only $12. So I bought all three and then went home and realized this artist is someone who has, there's multiple museums that have his works hanging in their galleries. Wow. He's like highly, highly collectible. His name was Hakumaki. So then I went into the complete dive into this one yes. artist and his life. And he started producing in the sixties through eighties and the way that he even numbered his prints. Cause it was like poem 76 89. And those numbers mean something and you can figure out when he had produced them and what the series was. And I spent nine months with these in my office because I was so afraid to list them. I felt like, how can I ask what I think they're worth? I'm just not sure. Uh, But my gut, and that's the biggest thing to tell sellers, like trust your gut. And the more you do this, you need to trust your gut more because trust your gut and then research the heck out of it to make sure that your gut, it's not a hundred percent, but often you have this instinct and you need to pay attention to that. Um, finally was like, I'm just going to list it. You know what the pictures, 
And I was like, I can't make the pictures good enough. It's not that whatever just done is better than perfect. Just get it up there, take pictures. If it doesn't sell, I can redo the pictures and reassess what I'm doing, put them on Etsy. And they sold all three of them to one collector sold, um, within a week for almost a thousand dollars for the set of three. Wow. And that was like at a bargain. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that that's possible for anyone that was just at a random estate sale. And that doesn't happen all the time. That kind of thing. If you're lucky, that's like your once a year, awesome sale. Um, If you're consistent and you're doing this a lot, that might happen a few times a year, or it might happen in smaller chunks where it's like, you're getting that hundred dollar sale once a week or a few times a month. And that's enough to boost your business. Um, But it's just also being willing to take a risk too, um, and just put it out there. I'm still so mad that I spent nine months. (laughs) with those in my closet, you know, but that's what they were. We're all guilty of that though. And then that's the one thing that sells immediately. And you're like, why, why did I do this to myself? Um, You said something that was really interesting because you're an Etsy seller and you said, just put it up. Even if it's not perfect. I feel like everything on Etsy looks perfect all the time. Oh my, no, I could send you some pictures that are terrible. There was someone that I found that had over a thousand sales and it was like an incredibly blurry picture of a brass cat. I'm like, how are you selling anything? Why am I spending so much time styling photos and you have like a thousand sales and I can't even see what like kind of animal this is. But it's okay. sold. <laughs> but it's so. I mean, I don't know if that sold. But anyway, yeah. yeah I think done. I, I don't like necessarily like the word mantra, but I have a couple of things I tell myself. Like, mm-hmm. um, done is better than perfect. Just get it up. No one can buy it unless it's listed. If you know, it yeah. has zero percent chance of selling if it's sitting in my closet on the floor, not mm-hmm. in my shop. And you, and what's amazing, like with the hakumaki prints. I needed to give someone the opportunity to buy. If I'm saying, oh, I can't photograph it or whatever, blah, 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 whatever my excuses are, because I'm insecure because my inner critic is like screaming in my head that I can't Mm -hmm. do it. It's easier for me. If I'm being weak, it's easier for me to not list it. And then rather than put it out there and risk that feeling of being rejected, like no one's buying my stuff. Yep but you have to push through that and ignore the inner critic and put it up there and then give someone the opportunity to buy it because it, you know, I have some things like I just put a bunch of things on clearance cause they've been in my shop for over six months and that's fine. But, but how many things have I put up with less than perfect pictures and it's sold because someone was looking for that exact item. Mm-hmm. And so I, and I think that's also the power of Etsy. Like I mentioned earlier of people are on there looking for very specific things. Like I had an entire set of, do you know what flow blue is? Yes. Transfer. I'm like obsessed with some people might not. So why don't you explain what flow blue is? Okay. Yeah. So flow blue is a a specific type of type of transfer wear. So you have ironstone, which is a very specific type of earthenware pottery, very commonly made in America, but also, uh, sorry, made in England. America also has some pottery makers that had done it before have made it. Um, there are certain cues you can look for to tell if it's ironstone. Again, part of it's just handling it a lot. Yeah. Flow blue is a kind of transfer wear that was used in the mid to late 1800s, some in the very early 1900s. And it is this beautiful, it's usually florals and scrolls and it's like blurry yep. because of how they apply the transfer where it just kind of flows into the surrounding So, so you have the pottery and then you do the floral designs and then you have that clear glaze, the shiny glaze that goes on top of it. 
And so Flow Blue is very highly collectible. And I bought, I went to one estate sale and bought in a pretty big lot of specific pattern. And again, you, you get to know the different kind, like this was by Grindley and it had been made. You can tell from the back stamp. There's lots of websites that have awesome ways to tell from the back stamp when the, that piece was made, or at least the time frame. And this one was probably made late 1800s through like 1906. So very, very old. Yeah. And someone bought three or four lots of the things that I had listed. Again, it sat around for a while and I'm just like, just get your rear end in gear. And a lot, one little, um, once you have a lot of things listed in your Etsy shop, you can just copy listings and just switch out the photos and a few. Oh, nice. So kind of like eBay, you can do like a sell similar kind of thing. Got it. Yes. So I do that a lot. Like I have a special format for how I list quilts and then the flow blue. Once I made one, all I had to do was copy the listing and then change it. So it was all this, um, Osborne pattern that was put out by Grindley. And someone was like, I've started collecting this. This is so exciting. I have bought all these pieces. If you find any more. And it's like, this is like amazing that I'm able to find her the specific pattern she wanted that she's probably going to pass down to her kids Mm -hmm. and grandkids. And it's going to become a family heirloom because the family always kills me. I don't understand it. Um, the, you know, grandma goes into retirement home or dies and the family yeah. doesn't want their really cool old stuff. And so yeah, they sell I don't get it, that either, <laughs> which is fine. I, I mean, I mean, yeah. it's maybe, I just always assume, especially with quilts or artwork, the artwork done by that person. It's like, you know what, th- this person probably had so many other cool things. This is like the second best. <laughs> We're just seeing the second best. They already took yeah. all the best stuff, Yeah, but it's like giving them a whole new life with that stuff. And I, I mean, that's, I get excited about that. Mm-hmm. That's the thrill of selling secondhand goods is giving it no matter what it is, secondhand, another life that someone else can now enjoy. And then another person will enjoy it from there. And, you know, you hope that it just, it's a continuous cycle that people will just keep doing that or repurpose it or or whatever it is. And I think it's just so, it's so nice and it's so refreshing to see it making mainstream media now and the masses understanding it, not just the small community that we're in, but everyone is starting to understand the importance of keeping things, handing things down, repurposing, buying secondhand, not always needing to buy new, Mm -hmm. you know, having the history of a piece in your home and how special that can be. Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't, and I don't get mad about, I see some people complaining uh, about like, oh, there's so many people thrifty now and it's not our thing yeah. and not price, which I get, I totally get, like, I don't, you know, you can mourn the good old days if you want. That's fine. I find it more, I find it refreshing because people are buying secondhand and it just challenges me. Like, Hey, if I'm a reseller and I'm going to be pricing my items mm-hmm. at market value with, with high value, then I need to put some work into it. It's not going to be as easy as walking into savers and walking out with a $500 painting. Like I'm going to have to drive three hours from Kansas city and wake up and, you know, so it's just like, what's my opportunity here? Or like, what can I offer people that maybe they're not able to do? Sorry. My watch is talking to me and I don't know why it needs to stop. It just started talking to me out of nowhere. (laughs) Goddamn Apple watch. Stop listening to me is what I want to say. Um, I have learned so much from you. And you make me want to go more into home goods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I started, I started a Etsy store 
And I only put up a couple things and it was like, just to get my feet wet and like, just experience what that's like, because I'm a Poshmark seller, an eBay seller. That's kind of my thing. Um, but the, but I keep finding cool things mm -hmm. and they keep wanting to like build it up a little bit. And it's always so nice to talk to and, and, and just motivating for me to talk to people like you who do this and that understand it and like getting your viewpoint on things and how you do things and how you, how with time, just like with clothing, you will niche to what it is that really interests you and, and makes it enjoyable for you. And you're okay with collecting a few things here and there and letting it sit for a little bit because you just really enjoyed that era. I think for me, and this is the way my brain works, is I need to do more of that backend research to really understand the eras and what existed when so that I feel more confident when I go into a store. I can, yeah, pick something up and bring it home, but it overwhelms me a little bit. Mm -hmm. I feel like as 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 a seller... I'm just so comfortable with clothing that I don't even think twice about it anymore. I need to start challenging myself a little bit more. And because this new category is so intriguing to me and I'm really finding joy in doing it, I got to put in a little bit of work, which I haven't had to do in a little while. So mm -hmm. thank you for having this conversation with me. Yeah. Go ahead. You, say what I you was going to say, you know what? One of my best resources um, that anyone can access because it's online, Facebook, groups, specialty yeah. groups, because especially say in the quilting world, a lot of the quilt experts or really knowledgeable people who have spent decades researching vintage quilts are in their sixties, seventies or older. They're on Facebook. They're not on Instagram. This is true. They're and that's it. They're on Facebook. And it's the same thing too, for, um, like stoneware and pottery, like old mm -hmm. American made Crocs and that kind of thing, red wing, Western stoneware. A lot of those, again, they're on Facebook glassware. There's vintage glass identification groups where you can post stuff. There's art. Oh, wow. I mean, there's, so if, if you're like, I need to learn more, you have to think about who has the knowledge that I need and where are they hanging out? They might even yeah. be at the, at, at an antique store. I yeah. love, I have like this route where I go home and I go by these antique stores and these women are in their sixties or seventies. Um, and I stop by and I talk to them. They ask how the baby is, you know, <laughs> I buy stuff from them and, you know, I ask and I talk business with them because they've yeah. been doing it for so long. And especially with, with quilting has first, I want to say this in a way that's not, that, that sounds okay. Quilting in the past has been such a female pursuit. And it's amazing to see it expanding to everyone. Like I was thinking this year, I was like, I want to make a quilt with my son. Like that would be awesome. That'd be really fun. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of women who want to pass down their knowledge and expertise to kind of the next generation of, of men and women. And so you just have to, again, ha like stop when you're checking out at the antique store. Like one time I was in Again, tiny town in Kansas. This antique store is not even on Google Maps. It's I found it through Facebook. It's not on because I keep a, a running list on Google Maps. I have a list called thrift thrift stores, and it's mm -hmm. all the antique stores. And I'll anyway, I add stuff, and it helps me out. And I bought a few quilts and started asking her, like, well, how you know where did these quilts come yeah. from? Which which vendor is selling all of these quilts? She's like, well, they're mine. Tiny little skinny, wrinkly oh. woman, probably in her seventies, who's like yeah. a fireball. 
ended up going to her house two days later out in the middle of nowhere and filling my van. I had like over 70 quilts and quilt tops that she had just sitting in her house that she bought 10 years ago that had no idea what to do with them. Wow. And some of them were, I mean, ranging from mid 1800s up through more older, like vintage areas, but it's these opportunities to, if you just stop and talk to people like, and have a conversation and not be so involved in your phone of like, where's my next stop? Or is this a good price? Or, um, you know, rushing on to the next Mm -hmm. thing. I think that that's so, so important in this business and in in life in general. Yeah. I (laughs) agree with you. Sometimes just go with your gut and just experience it. Like Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Not everything that's online is how it's going to work for you either. Like, I think that's also important to, to mm-hmm. throw out there just because someone's sharing their experience or have sold comps of one way doesn't mean it's going to be the same way for you, Mm-mm. no matter Mm-mm. what category it is. <laughs> no. Yes. You always, yeah. You have to take all of that with a grain of salt and figure out <laughs> and what works like Etsy may not be a good fit for some people and yeah, or think- pot, whatever. Yeah. I mean, oddly enough, I know people do well with home goods on Poshmark, but I feel like it's more like the the modern stuff, but maybe not. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because there's so many different people on Poshmark. Maybe it is a good place to put stuff. I don't know. It's such an Mm -hmm. easy platform that I think if someone wanted to just test out like 20 pieces, like I think it would be easy enough for someone to do. Um, But yeah, I've heard that. I've heard Poshmark has actually been really good for the home goods. Community mm-hmm. knows. <laughs> Who knows? Um, is there anything that you would like to share with our audience before we go? Any advice or just anything at all? And definitely plug yourself, your Instagram, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, pirate ship and buy nothing Facebook groups. <laughs> buy I'm nothing. Like, you're a I'm, Patreon member that she is a buy nothing queen. Oh my, I'm obsessed. Okay, I am obsessed with saving money on shipping. Mm. absolutely obsessed. So first off, if, if you guys don't know what pirate ship is, it is a free platform that you can use to purchase shipping labels for UPS and USPS. There's also another one called go Shippo. If you need FedEx or DHL, you can, as well as USPS and UPS, you can use those go Shippo. It seems very comparable when it comes to prices. Okay. I just like pirate ship interfaces with Etsy. And so I open pirate ship. I can with one click, pull over all my orders, all the shipping information buy my label. And then it tells Etsy that I've shipped it, but I save so much money because on Etsy, when a customer buys a label, they can only buy a USPS label. They cannot access UPS labels. So today I shipped a quilt to Massachusetts and (laughs) yeah, they charged, Oh, what was the shipping charge? It actually wasn't that much of a, um, a big gap, but I think it was like $23, but I was actually able to, right. 
Yeah, I was up. I, I can now I can't remember the actual cost. It was like 16 or $17 via UPS. Um, every little bit helps every, and I try when I, when my margins allow, I will always refund overages to people, especially if they message me and are like, is this any cheaper? I've shipped a big, you know, those big wash basin and pitcher sets. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the customer paid on Etsy to ship it. It only cost me $30 because they paid the USPS price and I bought it on UPS and refunded the money. Um, so, and you can use it very kind of you because I know other sellers would not do that. And I'm never going to judge. Like I have this conversation. We talk about this all the time. A friend and I, we have like a friendly argument about it. And we like, we laugh about it because yeah. we're always kind of arguing about it, you know, and she's like, I'm just going to do USPS on Etsy. I don't have time to go to a different website, you know, to buy the label and refund yeah. its time. And I'm like, I 100% get it just in my brain because growing up in a low socioeconomic household, mm-hmm. <laughs> having a small business being thrifty Whitney. Like I just, I can't do <laughs> I it. I love that thrifty Whitney. <laughs> oh my gosh. When I went to open my Etsy shop, I tried so hard to come up with a different name because I felt like, is it cheesy? Is it not? No, it's I just cute. <laughs> I just don't even know because it's like a boutique. So I'm not selling stuff super cheap, but, and I pulled tons of people and they're like, whatever you do, you have to keep your name on. Like, well, there's nothing that rhymes. I don't want it to be quilty Whitney because I'm not <laughs> just really doing go. quilts. I know. So I just went with that. So, so yeah, pirate, so pirate ship just saves everyone so much, especially on those times on the flip side where I underestimate my shipping weight. And then yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to, it's so much anyway, more. Yeah. It's so much more than I thought. And then, um, if you're on Facebook, look for your local buy nothing. If you live in, you know, it's, it's very hyper-local. So if you put plug in, buy nothing and put the name of your town in there, then you join it. And it's, it's amazing because it's basically a community effort to meet the needs of the community within the community cash Mm -hmm. on a, on a non-monetary basis. Mm -hmm. So people will say, I am going to college and I need a pair of sheets and someone will, I have one in my storage closet. You can have, Mm -hmm. um, I give away stuff on there. I gave away like a whole bunch of magazines, like someone else can enjoy these. Mm -hmm. And so I ask for shipping supplies and I have only bought bubble wrap once in probably this past six months. And I very rarely buy boxes from uline.com for artwork. Um, just because it's my other, yeah, it's a specific kind of box. You're going to sell, that was my thing. Don't list a large item that's like that artwork, unless you're ready to ship it the next day. Um, so in quilts, but that was like, once in the past six months that I've actually bought boxes and I just have people who save bubble wrap, foam, air packs, um, packing paper, and I get all that for free. That's great. So it's, it helps my business out. It helps my customers because I'm not having to pad my shipping costs. Um, and it saves waste. It saves so much waste because I hate mm. to see that stuff just thrown in the recycling bin. Yeah. That's a really good point. See, I know people that use the buy nothing to, uh, you know, acquire things, whether it's inventory, whatever it is, but I also, that's a good, good point to put out there is use it for your supplies that you need. So many people in your community probably have these supplies laying around. They're never really going to use, they're probably Mm -hmm. just going to toss it. So why not get it from them? Mm -hmm. And it's everyone that's local to you, which is really great as well. Yes. It's really great. I'm kind of like now, even on the group, if someone posts any kind of shipping supply, people, this is hilarious. This interaction. Someone posted packing paper, someone else tagged Whitney and then someone else tagged. No, Whitney said she doesn't need anything but bubble wrap right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
that you post before. I was like, I just need bubble wrap right now, guys. I have so much. I was like, I feel so loved and known. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, I will say that I think it might be against the rules for buy nothing to acquire, to request something that you intend to sell. Yeah, I think so too. No, I'm not going to judge you. I think that's the rules. Do do with that what you want, but (laughs) yeah, I think it depends on the, there's like very, there's all different kinds of groups that do very similar things, but I do know Mm -hmm. that the one that I'm in, you can't get like inventory or anything like that. But the, you know, if you're looking for something particular, like you said, shipping supplies, whatever it is, they'll do that. Mm -hmm. I know the one that I'm in for my area, there's quite a few uh, moms on there that are always giving away clothing for children or toys that they never use that are brand new. I mean, just so, so many things like that. So it's really nice. It's a really mm-hmm. nice thing for the community that they came up with something like that. Someone even made one of my, I had a garage sale a few months ago to get rid of a ton of excess inventory that I was like, this isn't my niche. I'm just, I sold it to a ton of resellers, which was yeah. awesome. I'm like, make money on this, but I didn't have as much traffic for other things that I, as I had expected. And someone said, well, I think it's because a lot of people get things from buy nothing groups. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah. And then the same person came over when I was ready to like give stuff away for free. <laughs> She didn't come to buy stuff. She just, when I was like, just come and take it. She's like, okay, (laughs) we'll take it from you. Totally fine. Totally fine. I made enough money. And then if, you know, I'm happy to give things away. Cause I took a van load of stuff to the thrift store that I just, anyway, but I, it was, it was an interesting point that even garage, it may change the con the stuff. I, I do go to garage sales. It's just hit or miss it's mm. garage sales are so time intensive and for antiques and home goods, it's really hard to get enough to make it worth my time yeah. driving around yeah. um, for higher end items. So that makes sense. I think you've, you've found where you can acquire these items in a timely manner that works for you and your business. You're getting the pieces that you really want your people helping you get them, mm-hmm. you know, or looking at them. You have a really great system put in place and a really nice business model. If I do say so myself. Oh, thanks. We'll see how it, how it changes. I've always said like, I'm never going to do an antique booth. And now I'm like, you might want to maybe next five-year plan when my kids are not like in diapers yeah. and destroying things. I think <laughs> I love going to antique booths all the time. I just, you know, it's a lot of work, the setup, the cost of it, all that kind of stuff. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's a lot as a small business, but especially if you have an Etsy. So it's the first thing people ask when they go to any type of antique show of any sort is, do you have an Etsy store? Hmm. You have a website, Yes, a little business card and people can go there because maybe they really like something, but they just weren't in the budget. Like the budget wasn't there to buy it today. And they know that they can go to your website and get it later. Like, it's just a great networking thing. There's um, Mm -hmm. a woman who, there's this fair type thing that my mom, my sister, and I always go to every year. It's twice a year and it's in Western Massachusetts and it's on this big farm. And mm-hmm. there's all local, when I say local, I mean, from like Vermont on down to like Jersey people that are from all the neighboring States. And there's hand, like people making handmade clothing, there's vintage sellers, there are pickers that have just a bunch mm-hmm. of random things, just, you know, random things from a barn thrown on there. You have um, soap makers and any other type of skincare. And there's just a little bit of everything. There's jewelry makers. And there's one woman that my sister has fallen in love with her items and she's a jewelry maker. And my sister will buy things from her multiple times in a year um, whenever she wants something new for herself. And this woman has grown her business so big that 
she's now doing custom orders for people. So they're coming into oh, her she's custom order. She's showing them all these different things. Like there's just so much opportunity when you do pop-ups like that. Yes. Um, for in-person. And- yeah. And cultivating repeat customers has yeah. been key in my business. Cause I have grown that. So where I, that little star that pops up on Etsy of a repeat buyer or people who buy from me on Instagram. And I do tons of local pickups too. I have a bit, I have a decent size right. local customer base. Cause I offer free pickup. Um, for, even if you buy from my Etsy shop. Yeah. Um, so I think that that has been a huge part, like give them that really amazing first experience mm-hmm. and then they'll want to just keep coming back. So I also, I, cause I've been doing so many shout outs. I can't believe I forgot to mention, uh, Monarch landing quilts on Instagram and Etsy has, is like okay. my quilt cohort. Um, mm-hmm. we're like basically in a business mastermind when it comes to quilts. So yeah. I think, uh, finding your people who can like women who like community over competition, like women who can cheer you on and not feel threatened by you, I think is so women and men, like, it's just that yeah. all the people that I know are so women, women. <laughs> are women. find your people, your, you know, who, who you can talk like honest, hard business numbers with is yep. so, so helpful because you can, it's so easy to feel very alone. Um, when yes. you're doing this by yourself in your office and your children yes. are like, mommy, <laughs> are you done yet? Mommy, are you done yet? <laughs> in this world, it can get very lonely. I, I, I do understand that. Yes, I know I have a a job outside the home, but when I am doing my reselling stuff, like who am I talking to about it? Besides my little group that I have, you know, with this podcast, we have a Patreon group and I talk to those ladies all the time and they're my people, Mm -hmm. you know, that's Mm -hmm. why we talk about things. We discuss business related things. You know, it's just, it's nice to find that network of people that you feel comfortable about to have those conversations with because your spouse doesn't always want to hear it because they don't always get it. Like, "Uh uh-huh. I'm supportive. I just need the bottom line. I just need the bottom line. How much money are we depositing this month? That's really what I want to know. So yes, you need supportive. Oh, very. Yes. You need the watercolor, water, water cooler moments of like, so how are sales today? That that quilt sold that I've had for six months that I actually hated after having it for a day. Finally went, you know, (laughs) I know, I know it's so true. So true. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. This was so much fun. Yeah. Thank you. Talking to you, Whitney. I guess I forgot to say you can, I'm thrifty underscore Whitney on Instagram and then thrifty Whitney shop on Etsy. So pretty straightforward. Yeah. Those links will be in the show notes. So you guys go check it out. Make sure you give her a follow. I like your content and the pictures are very pretty. You can tell you like photography. Oh, thank you so much. And I have found your podcast so encouraging. I love your conversations. So I really, oh, I mean, I've been listening to the back back episodes and stuff. Funny thing, Dalton is grew up like 45 minutes away from me. Oh, really? But there's something about Kansas, Kansas people. I know they got good business minds. Let me tell you. (laughs) Good business mind. Anyway, yeah. Thank yes. you so much for your support. I love knowing that people in other realms of selling find our podcast informative or helpful or just makes them feel like they have a little family, you know, that oh, they can kind of yes. go to and listen. Like that's just it's really comforting because you never know who you're going to appeal to. But the more and more that we do this, because you know, we're approaching season four. Um we just have so many different listeners now that I never thought that I would have on this podcast. Never, Mm -hmm. never. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And I hope this gets you even more quilt lovers this time. Yes. (laughs) Bring them on. I want all of the vintage lovers, quilt lovers. I want it all. I want them all to listen. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, we will be back next week. Jen and I will be um, on next week. Uh, not sure what that topic's going to be yet. We're working on it, but <laughs> stay tuned. All right, everyone, we will talk again soon. Bye.